Well, 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 house guests, eh? <laughs> and who might you be? No, 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 now, don't tell me. <laughs> Let's see, you're, uh, you're traveling in disguise. No, that's not right. I'm, uh, you're, uh, you're going on a visit. No, I'm wrong. That's, uh, you're, uh, you're running away. How did you guess? <laughs> Professor Marvel never guesses. He knows. <laughs> now, why are you running away? No, 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 don't tell me. Uh, they, uh, they don't understand you at home. They don't appreciate you. You want to see other lands, big cities, big mountains, big oceans. <laughs> Why, it's just like you could read what was inside of me. Reboot. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhood Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters, Yellow Brick Road Walkers, and Sky Raiding Broom Riders. This is Ruined Childhoods, and we are happily landlocked in our cinematic journey across America, celebrating cult and classic cinema and imagining new paths for their ongoing legacies. On the last episode, we quit smoking in Iowa, and this time we are traveling over rainbows into the Sunflower State, Originally the home of the Kanza, Osage, Pawnee, Kiowa, and Comanche, this state is now home to the Eisenhower Presidential Library, the Cosmosphere Space Museum, and the Evil Knievel Museum. It's also where Russell Hammond left Stillwater, took acid, and became a golden god and almost famous. But what this state is most known for today is its place in history as the birthplace of Paul Rudd, and the black and white setting for this episode's film, the 1939 classic The Wizard of Oz. A few things to note right away. We expect that you've seen this movie already. Dan and I are brothers, and this is our mother's favorite movie, so we've seen it each probably a thousand times. Also, Dan played the cowardly lion in a 1991 junior high run of The Wizard of Oz. Dan, did you channel Burt Lahr or bring your own spin to the character of the cowardly lion channeling Burt Lahr would it would be a nice way of saying doing an impersonation of Burt Lahr oh okay yeah. so did do you have music play, do you have music playing well, over there of course I started Dark Side of the Moon as you finished saying oh. Starfighters so <laughs> yeah now of course on on the VHS you have to start it at, at the beginning of greeting Starfighters but for the podcast version you start Dark Side of the Moon at the S and then uh, of course we we should have been talking about the part where she's running when they say run rabbit run but oh well it it, it works maybe it may, works maybe two times out of ten you know I I've never done it I. I, I don't know. It's never really occurred to me to even want to try I've, it. I, I made, like, I remember back in the day, I made a couple of, like, I don't want to say half-hearted attempts, but, like, one of those, let's try it. This was, this was back in, in my mid to late 20s. So, uh yeah, right. a lot of a lot of time and and resources, et cetera, to uh, to do such things. But yeah, it, it was kind of like if you're looking for if you started, it's kind of like yeah, if you st- if you press play on the CD on the third lion's right. roar, that's if you're using the DVD. 
then there are a couple of things that are like, oh, well, that's weird or that's funny or that sound in the music goes along with that. But it's like it. <laughs> I, I'm I, I'll, yeah. I'll do, I mean, I am no scholar on Pink Floyd, but I don't think that I think this is entirely coincidence that a few things on Dark Side of the Moon happen to sync up. Oh, it's a absolutely. Fun, it, they have made. They have even claimed themselves. It's not. There's nothing ever intentional. And the person who, you know, ma- makes these claims is, you know, grasping at straws. Like at there's times. a couple of things. Like when she's walking along, like the fence in the in the pigsty, that there's like trying to a lyric about like trying to keep your balance on the beam or something like that. I don't know. I I like I said have not listened to. I've listened to Dark Side of the Moon a lot, but it's always just like background kind of when I have it on. So I've never really uh, paid that much attention to it. Anyway, I don't know. I was just like, oh, it'd be a fun, fun way to start is to pay tribute and acknowledge that and then probably not talk about that for the rest of the episode. (laughs) Done deal. Let's go back a little bit. Let's talk about your portrayal of the Cowardly Lion. (laughs) Do you remember much about that? I feel yes. like I have memories of like uh of not so much watching the performance but like seeing uh I don't know like after the performance you all coming out and uh oh do you literally have your courage award? I literally have your medal. The, yes, uh and I will I'll post a picture on Instagram at Rune Childhood's Pod. But I have with me the courage medal that was placed around my neck uh, at at the end of the of the show, and the the red wow. ribbon and everything like still you know, I I don't know uh and it you know, handwritten courage I still have this I also still have and it came it, it it's around here somewhere. And I didn't think about it until just now, but one of the things I was given. So the Wizard of Oz was the was the first show I did. And for for those of you who don't know, I uh, studied theater in college. I did theater all throughout high school and, uh, you know, worked uh, in theater and worked as an actor for, you know, about 10 years after graduating college. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, this was the first show I was ever in was the wizard of Oz. This was the first role I ever played really. Yeah. And it, it was of, of course, you know, aside from the fact that it is our mother's favorite movie, it was really meaningful in that regard. And there are so many things that I remember very clearly about it. And so I'll share some memories. Yeah. So anyway, I definitely channeled, uh, slash impersonated Burt Lahr. And right. you can put you can put oh, down the I don't courage know. I'm medal, just, by the way. You, don't I, need to, you know what? I'm just it, you could you could put it on, you know, it doesn't fit around the, the, the headphones there. So the <laughs> courage, I also but I, what I also have is uh, and one of the gifts that I was given by either our parents or different family friends who came to see the show was a like a plastic like, yellow brick road street sign. OK. And I had it leading. I had it like in the hallway leading to my, my office where I do the podcast and 
it, but we had uh, some work done after we had a flood. In fact, last last year, just about almost exactly a year ago, oh. we're recording this on December 26th. Our flood happened on December 24th. So, yeah, oh, okay. there. Uh, but I remember very clearly. So, first of all, this was a middle school production with what I remember yep. being high production value. Like the great and powerful Oz, like the giant Oz head. I remember that being really impressive. Now, I do have the video. I converted the VHS to DVD. So I do have it. I have not gone back and watched it. I probably will soon with uh, with with the kids, uh, my kids to be particular, not just any kids. But sure, it was uh so I remember it having high and like like dry ice. I remember it was my first experience with dry ice. Oh, uh, to okay, of course, create the mysterious fog effects. We right. also used a trained show dog as Toto. Did you really? So yes, a middle school show where for a junior high performance. Right. That's kind of now impressive. this was in a K through eight school where you could have just gotten like a well-behaved charismatic, like kindergartner or first grader. Right. And put them in the, like I, your daughter, I would cast immediately as, as Toto would be uh, an incredible Toto. Oh geez, character out the I wazoo. Know. I don't know about that one. Possibly would steal too many scenes. She, yeah. Yes, but uh, hard to yes, say. Yes, but uh, so we used a train, and the dog's name was Mighty Mo Hildy. I'm I only pour pour what? one out because this is like 1991. Oh, not. this was 1991. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, Mighty Mo Hildy was the dog's name. I don't remember the trainer's name, but I remember that like we had the the dog and with the the dog was, was, was with us. And I remember that there was this one scene where we exited, man, I remember this so clearly. I remember we had to exit off stage, right. And we had Mm -hmm. another, and we being myself, the Tin Man, Scarecrow and Dorothy. uh, Sure. Just to be clear. So and it was a really quick transition. We usually we had to we had to run. And I remember at one time my friend Jose Luis Riera, who played the Tin Man, okay, was had the leash for the dog. And we're running through the hallway. Now the hallway is of course like tile. And I remember looking around oh, and no. the dog was just like water skiing, basically. And Mighty Mo Hildy was just like just not even running, just water skiing is the most just by gliding. far. Yes, just gliding around. And it was like as we were rounding a corner, and I remember seeing the dogs whoo around, and you know, yeah, I mean, right? made it safely. Of course, this wasn't like one of those things where the dog, like you know, didn't make clear the corner and smacked into a row right. of lockers. No, uh, and no yeah. animals were harmed. So I right. remember that. I remember doing. Uh, I remember that it was also the my first experience on the morning announcements, and as Ooh. as a uh, somewhat of a performer, I always I, I always enjoyed uh, participating in the morning announcements in high school when it was time to promote a show, and we did a scene. Right. I remember we did a scene on the morning announcements. Now I was not a popular kid 
and middle school, like middle school is awkward for everybody. Like middle school hit True. me hard. Yeah. Like, like, you know, some people had COVID and it felt like a little cold and some people were like knocked out with like the worst flu they ever had for two weeks. I was that end of middle school. I was bad COVID middle school. And like just everything, everything you look at, at photographs and I had a like barely half assed mulletish type haircut and I was like fat, but not like fun fat. It wasn't well distributed. And I just look, I mean, all do like I have a picture of myself and it was from when I met Alan King and this was seventh grade. So this was like, uh -huh. this was the, the height. This was the worst. This was like the worst day of the bad COVID was seventh grade, all of seventh grade. And I met Alan King and in this picture, it's so humiliating and hilarious. I look like with all, all due respect, there is no better way I can put this. I look like a middle-aged lesbian. Okay. I yes, the, it's the hair named Sue. Okay. Named like I've got the it's the hair the shirt I'm wearing in it looks like this big like this blouse. Well, 1991. Uh, oh, this was 1990. Fashion was, this was 1990. This was 19, yeah, okay. Yeah. So still, no, no, no. Still, it was. Still, I mean, no, yeah. no, no. It was the the world was in middle school, but at, like, yeah, middle school terrible. Yeah, but. I did the morning announcements and we did a scene. And first of all, when I came on with my first, because it was, we did the first, the scene where they meet the cowardly lion. And like, oh, okay. that's a strong entrance with the, come on, put up your dukes, put up yeah. your dukes and fight. Bert Law, everybody. And I did it way, <laughs> way too loud, but it was, I think the first time that like I, my personality kind of came out and there were kids who hadn't previously ever really had much to say to me that did it. It was, uh -huh. it was a really cool. Um, it was, it, it was really cool. So that was, uh, like that was a really meaningful part of doing it. And then just something, uh, just funny that I think about that I associate with the show. And then we'll move on from the, the, Dan nostalgia segment of the show uh -huh. is where it, so we we did the show in it was February 1991 what was also happening at that time was the Gulf War I was gonna say Desert, Desert Storm. Operation yeah. Desert Storm was happening yeah. so during our curtain call uh, I don't know who made the decision, but felt it would be uh, would be good to say something and, you know, express our appreciation to the brave people of the military who were overseas and we wished for their safe return. And my dear, dear friend, Stephanie Carmel, I love you, Stephanie, was the one who said it. And I think meaning to use a very mature adult word that would fit the situation said condolences and said, we want oh. to send our condolences out to the. <sighs> oh, okay. <Yeah. laughs> okay. I mean, I didn't, it wasn't, okay. it wasn't until I, it wasn't until uh, like years later watching the tape. I mean, not 
that many years later because I was watching the tape. Right. That it was like, oh, no, condolences was not the right word to say there. It was heartfelt. Uh, it was know, heartfelt. I, I, oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I, I thought that you were going to say that, like, uh, I don't know if the the play had the scene where the the trees like come to or the trees yes. are alive that the yes. apples are maybe yes. if there was like a yellow ribbon tied around there one. was yes holy there, oh, no there shit. wasn't I will I will confirm this no way I I, <laughs> I might be able to no confirm way. this while we are recording i'm to to our uh i guess younger millennial and gen z listeners if you are out there this was something that happened at the time to show support for the troops people out of you know symbolically tied yellow ribbons around trees and this was uh, not a new thing that was not a not a new thing but but i remember specifically and i don't remember seeing it uh during any anything you know, since then, really, yeah, I think that it kind of like that was where it peaked, and then it was just like well, it, we're it went out. I have to say the tie yellow, and and I I don't know if it peaked because tie yellow ribbon around that old oak tree was a hit song for Tony Tony Orlando and Dawn back in the seventies. I I just remember at that time it was, you know, it was a marker of the era. It was a thing. It, it yeah yeah it was a big thing. It was yeah. it was so a, right yeah right. This oh was this was what you did, and it wasn't like it. I wasn't something. I wouldn't call it a fad. Like I was about to compare it to like no, oh it was like no, the ice no. bucket challenge. No, it wasn't. It was a real. It was a thing that we no. were like hey like people are like our service people are over are overseas and we don't know what they you know what they're gonna what they're gonna face. Like at a certain point, it was just there was the all right. There's the deadline. Uh, that George H.W. Bush gave to Saddam Hussein, like 30 days to withdraw the troops, to withdraw from Kuwait, and then he didn't withdraw from Kuwait. So, yeah. So that I so that Dang. is so to bring it back, tie a yellow ribbon. I can't, I, I don't remember how the song goes, but uh, it, it, look it up. It's a wonderful, wonderful mid tune that only could have happened then. But yeah, I don't I I don't remember when it it started. I don't remember if it was a Vietnam thing mm. tying a yellow ribbon, but I am pretty sure that there was a yellow ribbon tied around one of the trees in that scene, John, and and bless you for bringing wow. it up and thinking of that because I now that you mention it, I am I'm remembering it. I could remember could be I could be remembering it wrong, but uh as I've said, a lot of let's my memories do, let's just say it happened. Let's yes, just say it my happened. My memories of this show are much clearer than my memories of yesterday. And I've not been Right. Yeah. I've been lucid and sober. Well, why don't we just do a little synopsis just in case anybody needs a refresher? Uh, I'm working under the assumption that everybody knows the plot, but here we go. A young girl named Dorothy is knocked unconscious during an unusually disastrous tornado on her family's farm in Kansas. She wakes up to discover that the tornado displaced her house and deposited it in a strange land called Oz. Fortunately for the residents of Oz's Munchkinland district, Dorothy's house landed on one of their most fierce opponents, the Wicked Witch of the East. Unfortunately for Dorothy, the Wicked Witch of the East's sister, the Wicked Witch of the West, is pissed off 
mostly because Dorothy now possesses her sister's prized ruby slippers that contain magical powers, thanks to Glinda, the good witch, who has also provided Dorothy with protection. Dorothy is informed that if she wants to find her way home, she should meet with the Wizard of Oz all the way on the other side of the Yellow Brick Road in Emerald City. On her way, she collects three friends also in need of the wizard's help, a brainless scarecrow, a heartless tin man, and a cowardly lion. But the Wicked Witch of the West is determined to get in Dorothy's way along their journey. And now I will just give you the cast list because famously Judy Garland plays Dorothy. We have Frank Morgan as the Wizard of Oz and also Professor Marvel at the the beginning and the end. Ray Bulger as uh, the Scarecrow and Hunk. Burt Lahr as the Cowardly Lion and Zeke. And Jack Haley as the Tin Man and Hickory. We have Billy Burke as Glinda the Good Witch, Margaret Hamilton brilliantly as the Wicked Witch of the West, and Almira Gulch. Uh, we have Charlie Grapewin as Uncle Henry, Clara Blandick as Auntie M, and Terry as Toto, and uh, not Mighty something Hildy. What was it? Mighty Mo Hildy. My, my, Mighty Mo Hildy. Mighty Mo Hildy. I, I got close. I got close. Uh, but yeah, Dan. Um, do you do you recall? I, I mean, for us to recall the first time we saw the Wizard of Oz would be impossible. It was essentially, you know, blasted onto the womb while we were in there cooking. I, I was gonna say, I feel yeah. like I was born with the knowledge of the Wizard of Oz, like it was familiar to me the first yeah. time I saw it. I feel like, and it's hard to say for sure, but I feel like. Even though our mother collected Wizard of Oz paraphernalia over the years, certainly she had some things as we were, you know, young children. Um, I mean, certainly we wouldn't have yet had VHS tapes um, or any, I don't know, maybe. We, well, we had, we did have a VHS player, I believe by the time you were born in 1983. That's the year I was born. I believe we we got a VHS player like somewhere around there, but I don't remember maybe, having the Wizard Maybe of the Oz. hospital was giving them away free for every child born. Uh, it was like, thank you for your, uh, uh, you know, thank you for, for joining us here at this hospital. Um, I hope you enjoyed your stay. Here's your bill. And um, because you ordered the deluxe suite, you get this free uh, VCR. Which at that time would have been about twice the size of the baby. Absolutely. Uh, and and 20 times the weight. Yes. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Our first, our, our old VCR, I had it for a long time. I remember bringing it to college with me. Thing was and a that's beast. What my, that's what my friends would, my friends called it the first VCR rightfully so it was old but it lasted that thing that thing lasted and that went through a lot of torture toys being jammed into it well we we talked about this particular vcr on our the last starfighter episode uh because this vcr is the reason why we became such big fans of the last starfighter uh seeing as how the tape that we had rented from the video store got stuck in it probably because there was a toy jammed in there and that after the VCR was then repaired, our father uh, had to purchase the tape from the video store because we thought that it was toast. But then 
we had it and he made us watch it. Well, we played it enough times that the tape like straightened out. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Uh yeah. 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 Uh, um so I can only imagine so Wizard of Oz has been famously replayed on TV. I forget which network. I think CBS would do it annually that, on Thanksgiving. Yeah, and I feel like TNT and like TBS once those became a thing, like would regularly yes. show it. Uh, USA, like it was just a standard. You know, what are we going to program? I don't know. Oh, well, the Wizard of Oz, sure. I mean, Turner. It was one of the. It was one of the movies that was synonymous with Turner and the, and the Turner Library. Though that's true, uh, I remember the controversy over T- Ted Turner, like colorizing black and white movies, and yeah, y- you couldn't, you can't, can't nope. do that. Here. Nope, this one nope. is, uh, this one is absolutely safe from uh, getting that treatment. Yeah, but yeah, so it's so common, and I don't know. I'd be curious to know now if as many people growing up are just. It, exposed to it and and like how how broad like how diverse of uh, how diverse a cross-section of the population like does how many line how many boundary lines does this movie cross well uh, okay so it comes out in 1939 and uh it that was you know it was before our mother was born but not too long before she was born and uh 10 years Ten years. I didn't want to out her age or anything like that, but here we are. And be proud. Be <laughs> proud of that age. Last time and uh, and yeah, and, and I think that uh, for people of that generation, the baby boomers, you know, you know, there there weren't as many movies at the time. So when there's going to be something that. I, you know, and that was certainly a brown, uh, breaking groundbreaking movie, and uh, of course it kind of caught fire the way that it did and i think that for that generation to uh, kind of cherish that movie as being like such a a big moment for them culturally uh you know having experienced that kind of in the early days of cinema of its kind i'll say and uh you know bringing that to the next generation is a big thing and of course there are there are people who are you know gen x or millennials who certainly have great fondness for the movie but not in the same way there are definitely it's like devout super fans that's absolutely true but i don't know if the the percentage is as high among the generations as it would have been for the baby boomers well and to your point about there not being as many movies or just in general, not the entertainment options that we have today. This movie would have been shown in theaters a lot longer and, and for years it would have been, I'm sure. I mean, yes. And it has been brought, brought back as recently, probably I want to say is 2019 because that would have been a, a an anniversary, like what eighty eighty years. Oh, oh, you mean just so, anniversary wise, right? Yeah. So sure. I mean, so I I can imagine that, especially at that time when you don't have all of all like movies being movies being made by everyone like coming out 
everywhere. And you really just had and also movies that were shown on TV. And yeah. I don't have the 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 date, the year in front of me of when Wizard of Oz started to be shown on TV. But I, I imagine in the 1950s, 1956. As, yeah, 1956. So as yeah. which is which because that's when people really started to buy TVs. And when you started to yeah. see uh, TVs in the homes, this is as the baby boomers are are being born and are coming of age and of course for parents like the tvs at that time when they're not like oh well two hours of tv a week max for children under eight yeah like no it was was, oh my god my devil child is calm all of a sudden and they stay in one place and my goodness what is this wondrous invention so it was of course if wizard of oz is shown and watched time and time again, aside from the fact that it is a legitimately fabulous movie that. Yeah, that hold, I that, that I watched up. I watched it again the other day and not that I needed to. And first of all, I was expecting to be more bored than I actually was. Uh, I mean, not that I needed to be paying attention the entire time because I know that movie so well by now. But there are also just so many great visual effects that to this day, I I mean, I don't know if you could get away with a lot of those unless it was like a a specific decision it would, that goes within the themes of the movie. But like, especially for that time, some of the visual effects are just stunning and really cool looking. And uh, I don't know, you you have to admire the ingenuity of the time um, for you know how that was handled and i was so surprised that it didn't win an academy award for visual effects which that went to gone with the wind also directed by victor fleming <laughs> like you said there weren't that many well this year well okay uh, well you know i i was i was texting with you the other day and i we were talking about you know current movies and i was just saying like 2023 has been a really good movie year like it's been a there's some really incredible films that came out this past year. And uh, if you look at 1939, yes, there aren't as many movies, but that's when you've got The Wizard of Oz, Gone with the Wind, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, Goodbye Mr. Chips. Right. Like there's some classics in there. And uh, I don't know if 1938 even like really came close to that or even 1940. No, 39 is one of those. If you look at those years ending in nine, and I'm saying this not really thinking about whether this holds up until 1989, which is a movie that I'm just that I am particularly fond of, but also 1999 is, uh, I would say, one of the the highest quality movie years. So, well, but yeah. yeah. 19 no 1939 yeah but so gone with the wind wins uh best visual effects interesting i I believe so uh gone with the wind academy awards i guess for covering up how friggin racist it was (laughs) you couldn't see that well when you're viewing you're like oh wow look at it just looks beautiful and i can't see any like the uh you know pro southern yeah. yeah. No, anyway, it's, it's we know kinda, we it's, know Gone with the Wind has a 
Gone with the Wind has perhaps not aged as well as The Wizard of Oz. You can still look at Gone with the Wind for its cinematic accomplishments. Right. Oh, a- absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. Gone with the Wind. It's got, not as fun to watch. <laughs> yeah. It won for cinematography, film editing, uh, actress in a supporting role for Hattie McDaniel, um, art direction, outstanding production, writing, what's called a special award, directing an actress. And special effects, the winner was The Rains Came. I, I misspoke. Uh, nominees were Gone with the Wind, Only Angels Have Wings, Private Lives of, of Elizabeth in Essex, Topper Takes a Trip, Union Pacific, and The Wizard of Oz. I so mean, the, the rains came. I guess they did. It must have been impressive because it won best special effects. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'd have to watch it. It's not one that I've ever seen before. Uh, it's directed by Clarence Brown. It seems like a very straightforward type hmm, wh- of What state of film. does it take place in? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. Uh, da, 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 da. Fictional town. Oh, it's in India. Ranchapur, India, which is a fictional town in India. So anyway, uh, uh, but Wizard of Oz, I mean, still just like losing a special effects Academy Award is surprising because this movie is, you know, and, th- and hey, this is something that I can cover on Statue of Limitations, my uh, my hopefully sometime to be produced podcast that reexamines the Academy Awards, which you know, mostly uh, relitigating based on discrimination, but also talking about hindsight when you look at oh, you know movies like this. And and the here. rains came. The rains came would be a good one to talk about. On that. Tyrone Power plays. Oh oh a, oh! Absolutely. An, There's a brown Indian brown doctor. face. Yeah, absolutely. So any, yeah. Anyway, I. Uh, I don't know. I think that uh, the vi- uh, clearly the visual effects absolutely stunning. Uh, I really was fascinated by them, and also it's like even the ones that are a little bit kitschier. It's like I love that they did that. You know, they they had to come up with how to do that. And what was the, and and what was the precedent for so much of it? When you think about like the hokey ones, I I think I, like I was I was thinking to myself like. Like, all right, yeah, but that's through my lens yeah. now. Growing like growing up in the eighties, the age of special effects blockbusters. Yeah. So just thinking like, okay, well, at, between a trip to the what came between a trip to the moon and the Wizard of Oz? Like, where's the bar set for visual effects and just how high is this going over it? Well, also during this time, cinematically speaking. There was a bit of hesitation to kind of, I mean, A Trip to the Moon is a, an awesome example of like, you know, not just early days of cinema, but early days of thinking like, what can we do with this medium? But a lot of other films up until this point were kind of a little afraid to take a leap into too much of a fantasy type of setting or, you know, really shocking audiences because, there's still, you know, we're still within the first, uh, you know, half century of, <laughs> of movie making. Yeah. And it's like, uh, and especially because TV, it, 
at this point isn't even around you know it once it, it it's like everything still is very I mean, novel sound sound is still relatively it's new. still relatively new and so for them to take leaps and uh demonstrate things that are so far out uh would be really difficult for some movie viewers and that's why the movie the wizard of oz veered away from the source material and made it be that she was dreaming the whole thing. Whereas in the novel, the land of Oz is a very real place. And in other adaptations, they, they go there with it. I believe that even in the, was it 1925, like the original wizard of Oz film, the like silent one, like they, it still takes place in the land. Like the land of Oz is a very real thing. I think you can watch all of that one on YouTube. Um, I, I haven't had the opportunity to check it out though, but no, neither have I, I think that they also, uh, you know, tried to, uh, I, I know that a lot of the other iterations of like Oz films that have come out have, claim to not be like so much sequels to this film. Although I think that uh journey back to Oz, which is an animated one is actually supposed to be a sequel, but it kind of, I think that they like retcon a little bit to be like, Oh no, 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 no. It is real. Now, now the world is ready for us to understand that this place is real. And then of course, like return to Oz is a, you know, adaptation of source material. Yeah. Uh, two of the books, uh, Ozma yeah. of Oz, or wait, is it Ozma of Oz? Je, was yeah, there... so Return Re, Return to Oz is, yeah, it's based on two of the books. One of the books doesn't even have Dorothy in it. And so Return to Oz, I remember seeing, I might have, I may have seen Return to Oz in the theater. I don't oh, really? remember. It's freaky deaky. I don't know. I have very, it would explain a lot. Uh, I have very early memories of Return to Oz, but I remember I also had the novelization. Oh, cool. Yeah. I was big into movie novelizations. Yeah. So it is, right. It's based on mainly Ozma of Oz, but it really departs from, other than, I would say, like, the look of Dorothy, played by Feruza Balk. Right. Which, it always confused me that there was a Feruza Balk and a character named Veruca Salt, and the person Feruza Balk looked like the actress who played Veruca Salt, but wasn't. Yeah. Very, like, I've only just figured that out recently. I've never, I've never thought about Veruca Salt looking like Feruza Balk, but now that you say it, I kind of... I see what you mean. It plays into the whole idea that Feruza Balk herself is a mysterious character. Absolutely. You could perhaps have gone, have played Veruca Salt in the 1971 Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about right. Oz. So yeah. yeah. Return to Oz. Return to Oz is wow. Return to Oz I I was really wondering, like, all right, I haven't seen this since I was a kid. I, by the way, Return to Oz was one of the 
first DVDs that I owned. Really? And I think I watched it maybe once. Oh. Maybe. Yeah. But watching it again recently, wow. There's yeah. so much like Disney went hard in the 80s. All right. We're I'm gonna we're gonna leave it at that. We're gonna come back to it yeah. later. But Disney went hard in the 80s. So this it was it, it's messed up and it goes the Exorcist 2 route, which I don't know how I, I don't know how consistent this aspect is with the novels, but the premise of Return to Oz is that Aunt M, like it's six months after the tornado and Dorothy can't sleep. Oh, and yeah. she swears that that like Oz is real and she keeps talking about it. And and, and meanwhile, they see an ad in the newspaper for uh, electroshock therapy. Yeah. And they take her to like just the creepiest institution where she has to stay overnight. And it's this is and this is an aspect that they incorporate uh, in an aspect of the 1939, the movie Wizard of Oz, because I don't believe this is part of the books that that the the people in Oz are the people in her life. Uh huh. But they're different versions like how the ranch hands are the scarecrow, the tin man and the lion yeah. and the gulch is, is the wicked witch. So in this, you have the, the doctor who's played by Nicole Williamson, Merlin from Excalibur, okay. uh, who also, by the way, is in exorcist three. Okay. <laughs> right. Uh, but, but no, this this one's much more like Exorcist 2, where where Reagan is going through all these like psychological experiments after being possessed. And this is where Dorothy yeah. goes for electroshock therapy and uh, in 1899, Kansas. Yeah. And so, the office is run by. Oh, yeah. It's him and, and, and his assistant who ends up being this queen who uh, uh, is queen or princess princess Mombi who can switch her heads. She has a gallery of heads right. that she can. I, write. Yeah. so I watched about, I think what would be half of it. And I, I had to turn it off. I was just like, I don't know if I can do this. Uh, but I didn't finish yeah. it, but not for lack of wanting to. It was for lack yeah. of, of time. The, and consciousness. Yeah. The thing that was confusing about it is that, Anybody who's watching it would certainly be thinking this is meant to be a sequel. And then you watch it and it's like, why is Dorothy like seven years younger than she was in the first one? And uh, the characters look different, but also the, you know, return to Oz. Like you said, it takes place just after the tornado. And so you are picking up where the 1939 Wizard of Oz leaves off, but I don't know. It's like it. It's not clear that it's not supposed to be that same person, like that same storyline exactly. So well, it's, right, and it yeah. and right, and if it's 1985 and and you're going into this movie like, and especially like you're taking kids, it comes out in June 1985. Yeah, and oh, also produced by Paul Maslansky, who also produced the Police Academy films. Oh, there you go. So that's neither here nor there. <laughs> yeah, and so I think that, like we were saying before, you know, the original Wizard of Oz is this movie that 
certainly was a a a significant film for the baby boomer generation and the next generation is really those who would be watching return to oz in 1985 that's like the the age groups that yeah it's gen x or your geriatric millennials like myself and i and i and it's kind of like yeah of why would they think that it's anything but a sequel to that original version? Yeah. Right. And However, we, and you can't market it. I mean, they, it's the poster says it's an all new live action fantasy, but it's, it's so it's like, you can't market it as, Hey, it's not a sequel. It's true to the books. Yeah. I mean, I suppose like in hindsight being 2020, you could go the, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula route and call it Frank L. Baum's, return to oz but even then i yes yeah that big 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 problem yeah they they borked that one a little bit but i think that it has become its own like cult classic and uh you know looked at in ways differently than people look at you know the the wizard of oz however the was 1972 journey back to oz the animated one which you know, Liza Minnelli is the voice of Dorothy. Uh, Margaret Hamilton is actually the voice of Auntie M in this one. Uh, Paul Lind is a voice in it. I think he's, see the Scarecrow? He's one of those characters. The Lion? Oh, no, no, no. I think that actually he is, is he um, actually a character from Return to Oz, Jack? Um, oh, he's Jack Pumpkinhead? I think he's Jack Pumpkinhead. Which Jack Pumpkinhead, by the way, Tim Burton has has acknowledged is the inspir- like the inspiration for Jack Skellington. Right. Yeah. So it's no coincidence. Also, I think Tim Burton was working for Disney or no, he wasn't working for Disney at this point, but he had been working for Disney like the year before because this comes out right before Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yeah, he was doing like the Fox and the Hound and oh, man. 1985 know, kids movies, man, were uh oh absolutely wild yeah journey back to oz uh loosely based on the second oz novel the marvelous land of oz uh not hit in theaters but did well on television filmation produced live action segments with a celebrity playing the wizard flying in his balloon with a parrot and two munchkins sprig and twig the first version featured bill cosby filmation only contracted with cosby for two airings so i guess that was uh very just very just very specific to the the television and then the rest of them were with Milton Berle interesting i guess the cosby one would eventually air in syndication interesting mm. yeah so let me go down wow. to cast really quick because i got to get down to this yeah paul lind as jack pumpkinhead milton burl as the cowardly lion danny thomas as the tin man or the tin woodman as it says here mickey rooney yeah. as the scarecrow uh, and you know of course these are all voices it's not um right them live yeah. action style uh liza minnelli though as dorothy which is kind of like a yeah of course of course but and and having mickey rooney that's also a nice little uh judy garland connection there totally man yeah. this was what 19 this was 1972 72 yeah but liza minnelli's gonna win an oscar for cabaret Within months. <laughs> what a year. What a year for Liza Wait, with a Z. Liza with a Z. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, oh, 
Before Go- we move on, I need mm-hmm. to comment one more thing about Return to Oz and it's and and how messed up it is, especially in the casting. So Piper Laurie as Aunt yes. M deciding to take who's who's not the like, you know, stern but loving Aunt M of the Wizard of Oz. She's much closer to the Piper Laurie character in Carrie. <laughs> I'd say Aside, Carrie like, Twin Peaks. Like we we should yeah. question Piper Laurie's parenting skills in films. A hondo percent. Her de- yeah. Her decisions are not in the best interests of children. Love love Piper Laurie. Just, but just but man, she will get those blinds running. Oh no, that's sorry, that's not Piper Laurie's character. <laughs> I was about to make it. I was making a Twin Peaks reference, but it, yeah, I just as I was saying it, I was like, that is not Piper Laurie. That that's not her character. Actress. No, that's Nadine. No. That's, yeah. 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 So, all right. So we've Sorry, got I'm upset with myself now. <laughs> so we have, uh, you know, the the book, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, comes out nineteen hundred. the The first version of the film comes out in nineteen twenty five. The silent version. Uh, then, of course, we have this one in thirty nine. We've got um, the nineteen seventy two animated one that we talked about. The Wiz uh, is, you know, nineteen seventy eight. Uh-huh. There's the stage performances of it. Uh, we have Return to Oz in 85. There's like a Muppets version of The Wizard of Oz in 2005. There's the 2013 uh, Oz the Great and Powerful. It's it's perfect. It's and great. Then, and coming, right? Everybody coming, loves Oz well, the Great and Powerful. Everybody. Right. Right. Jan, well, actually, so I, I really wanted to watch it because... And I'm sorry, I should say that as I was preparing for this podcast, I really wanted to watch it. Not up until this point. Right. Did I really want to watch it? But I was thinking about it. And the fact that Sam Raimi directed it made me think. I know. And I was looking at the uh, looking at the cast list. I'm like, I I do really like Rachel Weisz and Michelle Williams. Totally. And, yeah. And, Kunis, and I like that, that casting. But uh, yeah. And uh, along those in, in similar similarly, because then we also we have the offshoots that are like more of the fan fictiony. Oh, there's so well, this, many. Oz the Great and Powerful is falls under that that category. Yeah. But uh, mo- like most prominently for 20 years on Broadway and now next year in cinemas, Wicked. Wicked. Uh, and actually 100%. starting in 1995 with Gregory Maguire's novel. And he wrote a, a right? whole series of these books about Oz and these spinoffs that I think, you know, it, it's like the idea starts as like a fan fiction type deal, but they yeah. really go into, they really create all of these stories. Gregory Maguire was really, you know, uh, nailing this whole like uh spinoff thing and how to revive old, uh you know, properties. <laughs> uh, but yeah, s- so Wicked... Have you seen Wicked? I haven't seen it. I have not seen Wicked. Now, uh, I have heard the music because my nine-year-old daughter saw Wicked on Broadway this past fall. And, of course, she has uh, listened to the the song. Not all of them, but there are certain songs that we uh, that that we've heard a lot of. And I, I. I it has never been top of my list. I've never I've heard the songs and 
have I've, yes, they sound very good, and I'm sure I would really enjoy them in the theater. But like listening to the recording of it doesn't do it for me. Yeah, yeah. I, but it I'm, sounds like it creates yeah. a, a fun and interesting backstory that leads up. You know, I don't know if it exactly you know Rogue Ones to uh, to Wizard of Oz, but uh, well, well, I know that uh, for. You know, fans of Wizard of Oz and fans of theater, you know, Wicked certainly is a, you know, a huge, uh, I don't know, production that's come about in the past, I think 20 years ago is when it debuted, 2003. Oh, and yeah, you know, and it really, oh. it it brought us the, the wickedly talented Adele Dazeem. And uh, <laughs> correction, correction. Rent oh. brought us the wickedly talented. Oh, Adele. oh, I'm sorry. I, I'm so sorry. But it the, did. But I would the say phrase wi- wickedly Kristen talented. Chenoweth. Kristen Chenoweth. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. wickedly talented. Yes. Yeah. Kristen Chenoweth. I don't know. I can't think of anything that she was in prior to Wicked. I'm sure there were things, but uh, the wonderful Kristen Chenoweth was. Yeah. Uh, Yep. In in Wicked and and the movie's coming out and that's going to be was it Aria, um, Ariana Ariana Grande, Grande and Cynthia Erivo or Erivo. Yes. I don't know who that is. I am looking forward to finding out though when the film comes out. Let me see. Uh November 20 musician um you know just vocalist. Oh, okay. So in a a lot of stage stuff. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I yeah. was like, I know I've I've heard of her, Tony Award winner, Color Purple. Um, yes. Yeah, I think that uh, the Color Purple was was a big one for her. Yeah. Oh, and Jeff Goldblum plays the wizard. I saw that. That's <laughs> that makes uh, sense. absolutely appropriate. And also, I did see on Wikipedia that uh, in February of 2021. It says New Line Cinema, uh, Temple Hill Entertainment, and Wicked producer Mark Platt uh, announced a new version of the original book is in the works with Watchmen's Nicole. Wait, is that the same thing? Is that the new oh, Wizard, the, Wizard of there's Oz? There's a modern... The, oh, yeah. there's Okay. So, yeah, this is saying that they are uh, slated to direct a reimagining of The Wizard of Oz, which will have the option to include elements from the 39 film. In August 2022, it was announced that Kenya Barris would write and direct a modern remake. So Kenya Barris uh, was involved with the recent White Men Can't Jump, was the writer on that, uh, was the writer, director, and producer of the film You People, the one that was with Jonah Hill and Eddie Murphy, um cheaper by the dozen coming to america the 2021 with the number two i was involved with the movie soul which i loved the remake of witches wrote that wrote the 2019 shaft girls trip barbershop the next cut wrote and produced that one um and has also been very active with television on shows like blackish grownish mixed ish black af are we there yet soul food so it looks like there's that there are actually going to be two new Wizard of Oz movies. Cause well, the, do you the, mean the Wicked? Kenya... No, no, no. Because I'm also looking at it says I'm I'm looking at this piece on MovieWeb.com. Okay, uh, and this is from earlier this year that 
it was uh, that Nicole Cassell, who right. was involved in Watchmen, was going to be directing a remake of The Wizard of Oz. But then that Kenya Barris was doing a different version. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, Kenya Barris is doing a modern remake and Nicole Cassell is doing a reimagining. I guess we'll I guess we'll see. Okay. Yeah. But then let's say your name was on that list. What would you do? Oh, what would I do? Oh boy. I would probably be a disappointment to them because I don't you mean like what what would I do if I if I had to do a reimagining of Wizard of Oz? If you or could do anything do with anything. all of this. Maybe it's just uh yeah. you know, <laughs> mastering the VHS tape of your nineteen ninety one performance and uh releasing oh, IMAX. That on the big screen. Yeah. IMAX. Yeah. All right. So I've got a few I, I like I was really trying to think about because it it's like what stories haven't been told. And by the way, I also want to reference in thinking about the like the what stories haven't been told because also as our listeners would know oftentimes our ideas are more about the productions of of the film Mm -hmm. and there was a movie made 1981's uh under the rainbow over the rainbow with uh carrie fisher and chevy chase oh yes uh, under under the rainbow under uh, about and it was it was about the the casting of the Munchkins, yes, the contracting of the Munchkins and uh, I yep, yeah, B- uh, Billy Barty who was one of the original Munchkins mm-hmm. is is in it, uh, um, oh, which is interesting because Billy Barty was also in Willow, which also starred Jean Marsh, who is the uh, Mobley, Princess Mobley in Return to Oz, and Billy Neither Barty was also moment. in. Masters of the Universe, which rules, and also UHF, which rules. Absolutely, yeah. Rules. I heard Noodles I Macintosh. Oh, oh, in Return to Oz, by the way. Speaking of that connection, there is so it involves like this. There's a magical key, and there is a line where someone shouts, "The key! The key! The key!" <laughs> Wonderful. And it might be the talking rooster. Uh, so all right, I had a few ideas. And they go in in many different directions. So first of all, I'm kind of curious. I want to know who was making the decisions at Disney in the 1980s, especially like working with Henson on on these like really dark movies like Return to Oz and Labyrinth and the Dark Crystal. And who was it who was like, how about how about Disney goes dark? Like, I'm curious about that. So. I would be interested to see that. I would be curious to see a, uh, and then there's just uh, so thinking about the stories. A lot of it for me came down to Dorothy. So, okay. All right. We see, we see what happened. All right. So we've got six months later, Dorothy, the electroshock therapy, but what about Dorothy when she's like in her thirties, in her, like how really like, what's the, what are the long-term impacts, especially if we're taking this as, it's the 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 Dorothy Gale of 1939's was uh-huh. Oz, where Oz is not a real place. Like, do we like is Dorothy is it like Tim Robbins and Jacob's Ladder, where she's just seeing things, places. Yeah. Like, 
I want to know like what happens. I would love to see like I don't know. I feel like Todd Haynes would be a wonderful director for this okay. like, character study of. I also watched May December recently and just was like so good, man. Like Todd Haynes is just like ah, uh, and can, can is so versatile because I also saw his Velvet Underground documentary earlier mm. this year. Nice, but a movie about like how Dorothy is is getting by in her thirties. Of course, many filmmakers, but I thought about Todd Haynes, uh, and like she's like it takes place in the twenties. Maybe it's like during Prohibition, uh-huh. and of course she's like hardcore alcoholic i mean of course oh then it gets dark because judy garland yeah uh, yeah so i had so i had another idea now one of the stories that i have one of the questions that's remained unanswered to me is how dorothy ended up living with her is it her great oh, yeah. aunt and uncle because they do seem a bit old it's, is it just her yeah. aunt and uncle what happened with dorothy's parents that's a great question uh, i believe i think in oz the great and powerful there's some like little like easter egg dropped about uh about it but i i'm like that's not enough for me so what happened to dorothy's parents and maybe how does that plant the seeds for her later you know, the blurring of reality and and fantasy. So I'm really into the psychology of Dorothy here. Well, also, it's it raises a lot of questions about her identity and where she fits in the world. And, you know, she lives in Kansas in, uh, you know, on a remote farm somewhere where the only other person that we the only people that we see that she lives near are this like, you know, weird sorcerer dude who's, I guess, just like passing through town and this lady that fucking hates her and wants to kill her dog. Like, that's not an existence, but it's all she knows. And uh, for her, it's just like, well, what, I'm going to like inherit this farm one day? Is that my life? Like, what's going to happen with me? And yeah, there's a lot to explore there. Well, and the life that that she wants is this, this somewhere over the rainbow, and it's this sure, right? Well, but it's so disconnected from reality. What, but what the what this movie, what this nineteen thirty nine version of the movie, and I don't want to say that the books are the same because I don't know, I haven't read them. What it's trying to tell us is, don't try and be something that you're not. Don't try and dream and accomplish something, because. It's just not what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be here. Look, you're going to go off. You're going to do something. You're going to miss the shit out of us. You're going to be so happy to see us when you come back. Wow. And now tying this all together with the social values and norms that really developed in the 1950s uh, alongside the Wizard of Oz being shown on television starting in 1956 and so many children eating this up and then conforming to rigid social standards and being afraid to break out and be different, just like Julianne Moore and Todd Haynes' 2002 Far From Heaven. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Filmed in our hometown. Or Julianne Moore in... (laughs) Yeah, pick your Julianne Moore. Um, 
forbidden romance movie. Uh, yeah. So yeah, John, that's, those are, and I, I was thinking about it. And if you start to ask questions about like, all right, well, where did this person come from? And the land of Oz does have a lot that like, we have been given a lot by the movie and the books that hasn't been explored. Yeah. But yeah. So what what are you thinking, John? What's your take? Where do, where's your yellow brick road leading? Let's imagine that there aren't these new uh, reimaginings and whatever else that's coming out. And, you know, if, if I was kind of put in charge of like doing something with it, uh, yes, take a look at the the series of books, the original books, and uh, you know, create something from scratch with those. But it's you 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 want to do it in a way that's not going to make the boomers feel like their version of this movie is not perfect. So uh, there are ways that you have to kind of like approach it to make sure that uh, it doesn't make it seem like the original is broken or that somebody's childhood would be ruined, so to speak. Uh, but what I what, what I think that is important to do is to really pay uh, homage to the uh, the vision of this movie that really broke so much ground and that really transported people into a a fantastic world. And I don't think that I could think of a, a more appropriate director to handle something like this than, uh, and of course, this is a very hot name to say right now, but Yorgos Lanthimos. And uh, uh, for anybody who has seen Poor Things, you would know, holy crap, the way that this director really brings you into an entirely new world and it shows you the the world through the eyes of somebody who's experiencing things for the first time and is filled with wonder and uh, i there are there are a lot of things that happen in poor things visually that really do feel like you're you know being dropped into oz and um yeah i that's somebody who i would also trust to i don't know i uh, think about things differently and in a fresh way that isn't just pandering to an audience, but also who uh, wants to bring something fresh to people who would be responsive to that. Um, Yeah. And anybody who's seen also the favorite knows that, you know, that that's possible too. I, you know, I haven't seen killing of the sacred deer. It's on my short list, especially after having seen Saltburn with Par- with Barry Keoghan. I know that uh, he is supposed to be amazing in Killing of Sacred Deer. The Lobster is another way that he like introduces you to just like a completely different way that the world can work, and that's what The Wizard of Oz is all about. Wow! And uh, what I like about that idea is, as you were as, as you were building up to the idea, I was thinking about it. Like, how do you get your audience to separate it? And something that I I think is maybe a little bit more in vogue now. I mean, it kind of comes and goes. But the association of a filmmaker with a film like like a a Yorgos Lanthimos, I believe so. Like at this point now, he's got a body of work 
that really, even though his films, and I've only seen The Lobster and The Favorite, but they're distinct from each other, yet he still carries this ability, right, to immerse you into a new world and show you that world through the eyes of his characters. Uh, and I also, especially in thinking of this, I think of Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro, because I sure. think about Pinocchio as being a great example of of a way to separate it from the previous versions yeah. and make you and 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 let you know from the get-go that you're not experiencing that you're experiencing this. Pinocchio is an interesting example because I feel like most people are associating Pino- the character of Pinocchio with like the Disney version and there have yeah. been so many versions of Pinocchio dating even way before then and uh, even in the same year, last year that Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio came out, there was like that other like Tom Hanks one, and like there's there's always there new was, Pinocchios coming out. R- Roberto Benigni has done two. Did he do two? I knew he did one. Well, because there was like there was the one that was his follow up to Life Is Beautiful. Yeah, that was and then weird. there was another, but there was there was like a recent another recent one like past few years where he played Geppetto. Weird. Yeah, so I I, I, I will forever Pinocchio. love Roberto Benigni for walking like his crazy antics at the awards shows that that year. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, um, dude. But yeah, no, uh, I I think he would be a really God. How would he cast Emma Stone? Uh, <laughs> However, uh, the fuck he wants, he knows how to I, use her. I know. Her. I'm like. I, I'm thinking, I was like, she's too old for Dorothy, but I'm like, oh God, he'd find a way. <laughs> like, he, like I don't, I haven't seen four things, but it just, it looks like, it, it, it really, it looks, it, it feels like he's kind of found a muse in. Well, I mean, this is just two, two movies that they've done together. But her performance in The Favorite is so good. It's and very like good. I said, I haven't seen poor things, but Olivia this really Coleman sounds like. in The Favorite is so good. Rachel Weisz in The Favorite is so good. Wonderful. So also, yeah. again, you have a director who, do, who who does work particularly well and does really direct women yeah. in strong performances totally really well, much what, like Todd Haynes. Also, in Poor Things, he uh, cast people like Gerard Carmichael and Rami Youssef, who are not known for doing the types of work that this movie has them in. And it utilizes them so well. I love Gerard Carmichael and Rami, uh, Rami Youssef in them. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. Mark Ruffalo, you're always going to get something amazing out of him. And Willem Dafoe is always going to be perfect, especially if you have him playing a giant weirdo. And so uh, I, I don't know. I think that Yorgos Lanthimos just like really knows how to utilize his talent and um, you know, find the right people to fill out these worlds a little bit. I would be very interested yeah. to see his his take on yeah. Wizard of Oz. Well, Dan, before we wrap up, uh, there's a few things and a few other notes that I took that I just wanted to uh, mention. Some observations that I had about the 1939 uh, Wizard of Oz. So, first of all. The the crew goes and they meet the wizard. This is the second time when he gives them all of their stuff and everything. And when he's giving the the scarecrow a diploma to indicate that he is smart or whatever, 
He's just got like a bunch of diplomas around. Is he a counterfeiter? I mean, I imagine he's got time on his hands. There's not a lot of people coming to visit him. Also, Margaret Hamilton, and this is something that you wouldn't have probably noticed in like the VHS versions, but watching remastered versions, and I don't think that they did anything to this, but it's like, she had great skin. She had like really smooth, beautiful skin. And it's like, yeah, she wasn't like an old lady at the time. She went on to have like a very full career. You know, she certainly leaned into her uh, her performance uh, as the Wicked Witch a couple times, uh, famously on Mister Rogers, which was a really right. cool, a really cool moment where she, you know, yeah, uh, got into and out of costume. So, uh, one other observation that I had. All right, Dan, crashing a hot air balloon into a village filled with little people, flying monkeys, and just general weirdos. And being given the job of Wizard Supreme is the definition of white male privilege. <laughs> he got there by being oh. bad at flying a hot air balloon, which I don't know if you can even be good at flying a hot air balloon. But dude gets there by accident. They're just like, all right, well, I guess you're Wizard Supreme now. So wait, he's a he's basically a snake oil salesman, a con artist. Totally. We know this. Convinces he's... a bunch of people that they need him to provide everything for them. Yeah. I don't okay. know if I don't even know if he had to do much convincing. He tells the story about how he crashed his hot air balloon and they named him Wizard Supreme. Like, I guess he had a hot air balloon, right? And they didn't, they have a, apparent, like, they have flying monkeys and they have yeah. all that other, they have a whole lot of other crazy stuff. They got a I lady. Hot air balloons are just beyond them. They got a lady who rides on a broomstick and writes stuff in the air. They got a lady who can switch her heads. She can just, well, yeah. switch her, switch. I mean, if yeah, we're, if we're going into the 85, yeah. Uh, anyway, well, yeah, an, oh, oh, one, one, one other thing also before we do move on, and this is uh, like, I'm not on a, a serious note, but, uh, because of course we're, we're doing covering this movie because it, uh, by, especially the 1939 version are arguably entirely takes place in Kansas, uh, inside the head of a little girl lying yep. in a bed unconscious somewhere in the plains of Kansas. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, I do, I get the sense though that like Return to Oz and I neglected to check the filming locations. Okay. Wizard of Oz definitely gives you a sense of Kansas, but it also doesn't look like a lot of it looks back lotty. Oh yes. I did the feeling like, like some of this like exteriors in the Kansas sequences in Return to Oz, it definitely Gives you the sense of of Kansas. I I have also been listening to the audiobook of In Cold Blood. Oh, also set in Kansas. Took it so, happened in Kansas. But hearing the descriptions of just like kind of just flat land, just like flat like corn fields, right. fields and fields, and Return to Oz. There are some shots in it that definitely give you that that sense of just a lot of the remoteness, especially turn of the century Kansas, but even mid century Kansas, as we find out in, in cold blood. Well, I return to Oz was filmed in the UK. I think entirely. Yeah. At Elstree studios, 
Um, but they must have gone and visited Kansas enough times to make sure to capture the, the feel of it. No, I feel like an idiot for not checking that out first, but you know, whatever it, it (laughs) feels desolate and and remote and yeah. Well, all right, let's talk about what we're doing next. Yeah, because we're leaving Kansas. We're going to go to Kentucky. What are we going to do in Kentucky, Dan? All right. In Kentucky. Oh boy. We are, we are going to investigate some mysteries with the one and only Sheba baby. Yeah. It's Pam Greer in 1975's Sheba baby directed by William Girdler. I'm excited. I couldn't tell you anything else he directed, but, uh, always excited to check out some, some Pam Greer. Hell yeah. Cinema, especially some prime 1970s Pam Greer. Absolutely. I am. I'm a big fan of, of Jackie Brown. So, uh, and of course, the, you know, I mean, inspired by yeah. among other movies, Sheba Baby. Yeah. So I, I've I've never seen it before. Have you seen Sheba Baby before? You know, this one I haven't seen. I've seen a lot of her no? other work. Coffee. She's fantastic. Yeah. And yeah, she's the best. Foxy Brown. Foxy yeah. Brown. Uh, Mars so, Attacks. Then Mars Attacks. That's right. <laughs> so Dan, uh, I'm I'm looking forward to having a chat with you about Sheba Baby. And uh, if anybody has any thoughts about potential future legacies for Sheba Baby or The Wizard of Oz or any of the other movies we've talked about before on this podcast, email us, ruinchildhoodspod at gmail.com. Check out the link in this description for our link tree. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. Please connect with us. Check out our videos on TikTok and Instagram. And yeah, we're we're just happy to be doing this. It's really fun to be doing this uh alphabetically ordered journey through the United States. And uh, I can't believe that we're sticking with it, <laughs> but I'm, I'm glad am, we are. Uh, oh, of course we're, we're, of course we're, no, we are seeing this thing through. Absolutely. And also if you, if you are perhaps from or have lived in any of the States past Kansas or Kentucky uh, and want to suggest something for us, please email us again. That's ruined at gmail.com. And that includes Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico. It certainly does. Absolutely. Because we're coming there, too. Well, Dan, as uh, you are stolen from a a mean lady who's trying to kill you and you're jumping out of her basket, I wish you a good journey. (laughs) As I'm crashing my hot air balloon into the land of Oz. Good journey. (laughs) 